0: Welcome to T Hanks for the Memories, a podcast about Tom Hanks. Uh, Today we're going to be covering the second film that Tom did in 1988. The less successful of the two films, um, he had a gigantic hit with Big, um, and then he followed it up by doing Punchline, uh, which came out on the 7th of October 1988. The irony is that this film should have come out Christmas the year before, uh, but they felt the film wasn't ready. And so the head of the studio, who I think was a British fella, uh, ended up being fired in between and they just whoever was producing it didn't care about the film and pushed it back to October the following year um and it did not do very well it it cost about 15 million i've got to be honest i'm not quite sure where that money went apart from probably in the pockets of sally field and tom hanks because it's, it's not like a high quality production thing here i don't know i guess they built that cloakroom. we'll talk about that once we get to it um and it only ended up making 21 million and that was that was just in the u.s it like it did not travel internationally Um, And, you know, by the time, you know, the next film came out, I think, you know, that was the burbs was kind of like the next thing that most people saw from Tom Hanks. I don't even think the punchline got a release over here, to be honest with you. I think the first time I saw it was when it was on television. Um, Unusually for Tom Hanks, he's not getting top billing. Um, And that's not just on the poster. When the film starts, Sally Field is uh, number one on the call sheet. And then Tom Hanks is second um so i thought that was quite interesting uh joining me to talk about today i have returning guests first returning from um he knows you're alone and mazes of monsters is gina radcliffe hello gina hello and returning from um three of the 80s films uh including volunteers uh we have andy nelson hello andy hello hello glad to be back um yeah so uh, this is an unusual film i remember like i said i saw it on tv uh, and i uh, recorded it and i think i watched it a couple of times before somebody recorded over it with something else um and i remember at the time you know being a relatively big fan of tom hanks you know enjoying big enjoying um uh, I, I, I don't know a couple of his other 80s things uh, not bachelor party because uh, at the time i was you know a child um and so I saw this I was on TV and it said Tom Hanks. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll check this out. And I I would say that I was puzzled by the tone of the film. And also, um, as a, I mean, as a kid, I mean, not so much these days, but I was very much into stand-up. If TV shows had stand-ups on, um, you know, as guests and stuff, I would kind of seek them out and watch them. There were a few shows over here that, like, stand-up comedians, you know, had as, like, showcases. And, you know, I would watch those. Um, So I was very much, like, primed to enjoy a film about stand-up. And I'm not sure that this is that film. Um, uh, Obviously, stand-up comedy is notoriously difficult to film. And we know this because basically this and funny people are the only two times anyone bothered to do it. And they are, I will say, I don't know, mixed results um so um i mean
1: uh... i actually did see this in the theater i like you oh i, I was uh i was a teenager when it came out um i i like you i was into stand-up comedy as well i watched a lot of the like hbo stand-up specials and i briefly flirted with the idea of perhaps becoming one myself a, uh an idea i am glad i i you set aside after a while because it does not seem to be a, a very enjoyable profession uh particularly if, if you're a woman um but yeah I also would see a lot of stuff that had to do with with stand-up comedy and I remember thinking that this was uh i this was the first time to we were watching it for this was probably the first time I'd seen it in a good 25 years and and I remember thinking when it came out that it was pretty good. Um, I remember that everybody made a big deal about the fact that this was sort of a different side of of Tom Hanks where his character really wasn't likable and and that was something that, you know, people I, I think one of the reasons why this didn't do very well is because people just weren't used to seeing him. I mean he was kind of a schmuck in in Uh, nothing in common but but he was a likable schmuck here he's just very self-centered you know he's dealing with some sort of you know uh, mental health issues that he's just not addressing you know he's very needy and you know his only his sole redeeming quality is that he's allegedly funny which, you know, <laughs> I think that's more, you know, the script says, well, you're supposed to, you know, believe that this guy is funny. And I, I guess, I mean, it's hard to, when you do a movie about comedians starring non-comedians, you, you can tell when people, when people aren't natural stand-ups. And here it's more, it's even more noticeable because there are actual stand-up comedians in it.
2: Yeah, like Gina, I saw this in the theater. Uh, you know, you may recall from my previous conversations, uh, <laughs> big Tom Hanks fan here. I had seen everything by this point that he had done. I had movie posters of all of his movies up all over my walls. I was very much excited about this. I, you know, I, I was probably one of the few people who really knew this was coming and was very excited about it. I had watched like HBO did a. Um, like a, I can't remember what it was called, but the whole idea was like, you know, uh, it was a punchline comedy special, basically that came out before Punchline, or it might have been on CBS. I don't know where it was, but it came out before Punchline. Uh, you know, Sally Field and Tom Hanks were the hosts. It had a bunch of comedians, and it was kind of a, a pre like making of sort of thing. Uh, so I, I had watched that a bunch. I was very excited about this. And I mean, it is a very dark film, but uh, going into this as a big Tom Hanks fan, I loved seeing him doing something that was definitely a darker character. Um, I've seen it uh, a lot <laughs> and I do have a very soft spot in my heart for it. It's, uh, it's, you know, I wouldn't say it's one of his better films, but I think what we are really starting to see here. And we talked about this with Nothing in Common a little bit where he's starting to kind of cross the line from the comedy to doing some of the more dramatic roles. This is definitely taking a, a, a darker turn and playing a more interesting character that, uh, you know, it would be interesting to, as you go through the rest of his career, look and see has he ever played a, another character that's been quite so uh, dark or uh, dealing with so many issues.
0: I mean, I will say this much. His character in Turner and Hooch is about as loud as this character is. This is some <laughs> trademark... Tom Hanks yelling and screaming, um, which, you know, I think he doesn't do enough of these days. I mean, if he does that Elvis thing and, uh, and he's playing Colonel Tom Parker and he's just yelling and screaming at Elvis all the time, then i will be happy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, we should say a little bit about the, the writer and director of this. Uh, like uh, the, the kind of the script had been around since 1979, apparently. That's when he kind of came up with the idea. And he—he, he, I mean, his career is is kind of crazy. His name's David Seltzer, um, and he he's, as a director, he has only ever directed four films, uh, Punchline being one of them. Uh, before this, he did Lucas, which uh, you know uh, was apparently a, a very big hit, um, and then after this, he did Shining Through which is uh, one of the more puzzling choices that um, Michael Douglas and Melanie Griffiths have made in their careers. And in 2001, he did a film called Nobody's Baby with Gary Oldman and Skeet Ormage, which is uh, about I, 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 it's a it's an odd film. But uh, yeah, so he'd also he's also been a writer. Uh, and I mean, I would say from Gina's point of view, who hosts a, a horror podcast, he wrote The Omen. Um, That's right. He and, did. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, which is like to go from like writing the omen to like directing Lucas to directing Punchline, and (laughs) and and it's such, and he co-wrote Bird on a Wire, which and 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 then and then the um the kind of infamous um Billy Crystal uh, project My Giant, oh uh, boy, which basically ended the career of the guy who played the giant because he injured himself on set. Oh. Um, so, yeah, I think it's George Mirasan was the was the guy. Um, yeah, he he like he had a, you know, a, a kind of, a, 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 you know, he was doing well in the NBA and then he went on set for that, like over the over the summer break and whatever, came back and never really played again. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, his career is just so kind of strange. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's worth saying that obviously, you know, from the context of this film. Um, you know, he he obviously spent years kind of going to stand up clubs and kind of getting material and coming up with a structure for it and figuring out what the kind of the story was about. Um, and, you know, I would say, uh, you know, he's he kind of I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this is just me, but he seems to have fallen in love with the montage um, because this film has got there's points where you're like the comedians are doing their bits and you get little pieces of each of their acts. And then there's other parts where they're doing their acts and you can see everybody's laughing, but there's just music playing over the top, so you don't know what jokes they're telling. Um, And I guess that's one of the reasons I think why a lot of people weren't convinced with, like, you know, Tom Hanks as a comedian, because I don't know that this film really gives, um, you know, his character the room to be the comedian everyone keeps saying he is. Uh, Whereas I would say with Sally Field, her character actually gets like a full arc where, you know, she does kind of become uh you know funnier as the film goes on which i guess is the point um but uh yeah so i mean uh i think we should just kind of get into the plot and kind of talk about what this is about um and we're introduced um you know to various comedians um oh sorry no i've got i can't skip over the opening scene can i um something which i don't think has ever happened in the history of the world. Uh, which is this guy selling Lila some jokes and charging <laughs> her a, a hefty, a hefty fee for each of the jokes. Uh, I think, is it $20 he's charging per joke? Yeah. She um, ends up spending
1: $500 on, because on, uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's significant later in the movie.
0: Yeah. And, she, and she like, I, I, what I like about it is uh, first of all, it's Paul Mazursky who's doing this. Right. And he's like, uh, you know, a well-respected film director um who I, I it's so weird that he just kind of makes this cameo um in this film um it gets, I know it, that gets I, like,
1: it gets like uh like like opening credits too like for this you know, yeah like 40 second scene he's in he's in the opening credits
0: yeah uh, i think it's because he was a friend of the director and obviously uh david seltzer was like you know would you mind coming on set and just doing this you know this kind of this small role and obviously he said, yes, I'm guessing that he was like, as long as I get my name in the opening credits. And, <laughs> you know, so he does. I mean, his like his films are kind of interesting. Uh, I mean, I know that I've definitely seen Moscow on the Hudson. And I as a kid, I loved uh, Down and Out in Beverly Hills. Um, that was like one of my favorite films. I would just watch that over and over again because it's just so funny watching. um uh, what is the guy, what's his name now? <laughs> the main guy. Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte. Yeah, yeah, just watching Nick Nolte like Scam, um, you know, that rich family was just always really funny to me. Um, and he finished his, he finished the last thing that he kind of uh, did really was uh, a film in like 1993 called The Pickle. Um, and he's acted He's acted since then, but he hasn't really gone back to directing because uh, now he's not alive. He died in 2014. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but he, you know, he was born in 1930, so he he, he had a long career. You know, he really. Um, but yeah, so he's here selling jokes, and I like that he. She wants to know the quality of the jokes, so of course he he gives her the setup, and then he's like, "You'll have to pay for the punchline," which is, <laughs> which I thought was, you know that's a, that's kind of like a funny setup to kind of uh, introduce us to the cutthroat world of stand up comedy. Um, which i i don't know i always i always thought it was just a, a weird uh, like a weird touch uh that that this is where we start i guess we're trying you know we're being introduced to lila who in all fairness even though you know uh tom hanks is sort of the main character uh we kind of get you know an equal amount with him and uh, and with lila um and obviously we meet her first um, you know, showing that she's uh, you know a housewife who's willing to spend five hundred dollars, which in nineteen eighty eight money that is, that's a lot of money. I understand why John Goodman is upset later on in this film because, I mean that's that's a lot of money to be spending on a bunch of jokes. Um, yeah, it was you know. their,
1: it was their vacation money.
0: Uh, so I mean, yeah, I I mean I don't know how you I don't know how you guys feel about this setup. I mean it's. it's like i said it's probably never ever happened in the history of the world that someone sold jokes
2: oh no it's that's a thing it is a thing is that a thing it is a
0: thing oh i'm surprised yeah no it's Um, there
2: there are i mean my i I don't know much about it but i know it is something that i I mean i i've heard a lot of the the kind of the old-timer joke people like they would actually be like writing jokes selling jokes it was a thing or or buying jokes it was kind of a thing. So my my guess is that Seltzer put this in here as kind of a nod to that foundation of kind of like where some of this came from. But yeah. it's like Glengarry Gary Glenn Ross. It's like you gotta be buying the good jokes, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. And she's definitely not getting the good jokes. No. Um, you know. And we, we see because we see part of her routine um as like the credits role and she she does the joke about uh, she married a Polishman and on the wedding night, he gave her something long and hard. And obviously, someone in the crowd is like, you know, <laughs> his, his surname. Like, he's already heard the joke. And she literally kind of acknowledges it and go, oh, so you, you know that one. Uh, so, you know. And then for some reason, Taylor Negron, uh, who, by the way, I love in this film. I just he love how hostile best. and yeah, angry. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But my, fa- my favorite scene is towards the end of the movie when him and Tom Hanks are talking to each other. And Tom Hanks still has the bullhorn. And he just like talking into his face. I just, just love how they're just like looking at each other.
0: It's so funny. I I love him when he's just like,
2: I'm in. I'm still in. Like he's just so all about himself. Yeah, no, oh, that's that's such
0: that's (laughs) such a great moment. Um, yeah, but at the beginning here, he he hates Wilma Flintstone for some reason, and we never find out why because we only get the kind of setup where he's like, I hate Wilma Flintstone, that bitch.
1: No, no, he said he says he's the reason why he hates her is because she's a fucking bitch. That's all.
0: Oh, wow, that's his reason. I guess I guess I need I guess I needed more reason. Than that. Um, uh, the the irony is, of course, that in the year two thousand, he would star in the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas. Um, so yeah, he's guy, definitely you know, Taylor
1: Negron. God rest his soul. He's like yeah. one of those like '80s people. Like he just is like in almost every in some way almost every relevant '80s movie, but only like a small part. Right. Like he was, he was the pizza guy in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, yep. and he was in. Um, he was one of the Brazilian heirs in Nothing But Trouble, and and he's just he's you know he's great in the Last 80- Boy Scout. Yeah, he's just yep. this eighties person.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, he's, he's yeah
0: fantastic. he uh, he trained he trained with Lee Strasberg, and. I I mean I don't know it he had yeah I mean he's like when I saw him in this film I was like you know out of all the I mean there are so many comedians and I put that in inverted commas in this film and he's the one who kind of like instantly stands out because he just like the other ones I, we'll get into it as we encounter them but you know he just has a very clear like personality and you you kind of instantly know what his character is as soon as he's on screen and, you know, you know, the kind of the type of stand up comedian he is, um, you know, and and, uh, you know, he, he he's just always one of my favorites. Um, and there's a there's a line that he says later on in the film, which I will attempt to imitate once we get there, um, which is one of the things that I always <laughs> remember from this film. Um, but, yeah, so we get we get these snippets of I mean, I feel like we have to address the nun in the room because um, this this like this, the all these comedians, they have these like weird like gimmicks and i don't know that 80s stand-up comedians were this gimmicky but there's like oh they, uh, they know, were st-
1: they very much were i mean there was probably, <laughs> oh okay. well there was like there was like I'm, surprised, I'm the one thing they were missing although the one guy did kind of like juggle a little bit they needed someone yes. to do yeah. prop comedy because yeah, uh, prop right. comedy was did fit- a huge thing
0: it did feel that was missing a little bit, but there is like a mime in there who does juggling. And then there's this guy who is like a singing nun. Singing nun I, love, right. I love the singing nun. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, so I love funny. him so much. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah. And then, I mean, they have like the, there's a couple of women stand ups. They don't, I don't know that they ever really say their names when they're on screen. Um, so I couldn't really make a note of who they were, but they, you know, one of them kind of does some, like, uh, they do, uh, there's a lot of singing in this film of people doing like singing gags. Um, and then the other one is kind of more the, the kind of typical stand up, like female standup, um, you know, who isn't Lila. Um, but yeah. And you know, we, we meet Steven, uh, called Stephen gold. I have a feeling the character probably much like the director was supposed to be Jewish. Uh, but, you know, Tom Hanks isn't uh, not that it's ever really a factor. I mean, there is some stuff later on where he talks about like the reason why he was a doctor. And I feel like there's there should be more kind of about him being Jewish there. But uh, they don't really kind of go into it too much. Um, and we we meet him late for something. Uh, I think it, it's it's meant to be I think that like the these kind of um, doctors are suspicious about how high he scored on his test, considering how poorly he's doing with the rest of his work. And so, you know, he's obviously being called in to, you know, uh, talk about that. And we get this long kind of, just as the credits finish, we get this long kind of. Um, I don't know if it's you call it a gag, but just this whole bit where he he gets up late and he you know puts on his clothes and then runs around and then he you know you see him running out the building. He's running into traffic and yelling at people, um, and then you know he eventually gets to the campus and then he like kind of runs in to the to the hearing that he's having, um, and then of course you know they tell him that obviously you know he got a ninety eight on the test and they don't believe that he got that, and so they start quizzing him about the <laughs> digestive system. Um, You know, which I think I think the stuff here, like it really sets up how well like Tom, like this character of Stephen Gold, like how quick he is in terms of his humor. And I would argue that a lot of the times when he's not doing stand up, he's funnier than when he's doing his stand up set. Um, You know, I I think like the kind of the quick wit is 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 almost funnier than the kind of, you know, the, the kind of joke making. Um, And just the way that he kind of, he like flirts with the the woman who's on the kind of panel by, by, you know, kind of um, just kind of joking with her. And then when the guy starts asking him to name the different parts of the digestive system, he can do it because obviously, you know, he he knows how to kind of study. Um, But then he gets to the one part that he can't identify and he starts he's he keeps coming up with these things where he's like you know i don't think we should label past the body we should just address the whole person and and i i kind of i just kind of like how quickly he we establish exactly the type of like the fact that he is somebody who could clearly be a doctor you know he can do the work but he he obviously just doesn't have the focus Um, And obviously, as we go through the film, we'll kind of figure out why that is.
2: Well, this is, I think, uh, I think to your point, this is why I think you put somebody like Tom Hanks in the part, because in those sorts of moments, he feels like a comedian. I think you're right. When you come to the actual stand up, then you're relying relying on Seltzer's writing to kind of carry the, hey, I'm a stand up comic. And here are my jokes to kind of like to work. And that's probably why we end up having the montages. But I think when you have Tom Hanks in the film doing these bits, he feels funny. He feels like, oh, this guy, totally, I get I get it why he's a comedian in this film. Like, why he's a stand-up comic. It, it makes sense. And, yeah, I love this stuff. The whole poop shoot thing, it works for me. Yeah. I love it.
1: <laughs> he's obviously, you know, quick on his feet. Um, you know, he, I think that he you partially, you know, kind of wants to, you know, hang on to his uh yeah you know, whatever you know whatever remains of his medical school career as long as he can but you know he knows that it's not happening um you know that we you know, we'll find out later in the movie this is something that his family wants that he doesn't particularly want um i, I do agree that he is far funnier stage than he is on um and i i Again, I think that's what happens when you, you have a non stand up comedian writing a script about stand up comedians. It's just there's a certain level, there's like some pacing, there's it, it you know, it's something that you're not going to know how to do. You're not going to know how to mimic it if you don't know how to do it already.
0: Um, and of course, that then takes us to uh, the scene of most of the film. <laughs> I mean, I would say about 70% of the film is set there, and that is the gas station. Uh, I am assuming that that is a pun on laughing gas I'm thinking that's what they're trying to go for um, so uh, I know that in America there is a stand-up club called helium uh, so I, you know it's I, I, I don't know I, any any kind of like stand-up comedy club always has to have some kind of like hacky name it's probably uh, it's and, at
1: least it's a better choice than like you know the chuckle Hut or something like that
0: oh yeah <laughs> yeah that is a better choice than that yeah and we see steven is on stage doing some stand-up um uh, when lila kind of arrives and um uh yeah so you know when lila arrives and we see all the comics in the infamous locker room and they are all kind of talking about how uh, lila needs to get like you know a tape so that she can get you know like uh you know she needs to get like I don't know. She just basically needs to have like her set on a tape so everybody can, you know, kind of see stuff. And she uh, she swaps with the nun because she wants to get home, you know, some at a reasonable hour. Um, And we cut back to Stephen and he is doing what I'm going to say is an extremely racist caricature, which is uh, a tour guide who doesn't know anything about New York and his name apparently is Tommy Chen. This is somebody apparently that Stephen knows, and he is Korean. And as you can imagine, Tom Hanks does a voice that conveys that character. Yeah,
1: um, we, we, we yeah. should we should point out you know again that this was made in 1988, so uh, there's going to be some aspects of it that you you're, you're going to watch now and you're going to be like, mm. <laughs> but I think at yeah. the time it was not particularly controversial.
2: No. Yeah. I, I think even if you were looking at stuff that, you know, uh, the, you know, Billy Crystal, um, Whoopi Goldberg, Robin Williams, sort of comedy shows that they were doing on HBO. I'm sure there was a lot of this sort of stuff that oh, was just yeah, going around in all the comedians. One hundred percent, yeah.
1: Just yeah, yeah, it was all part of the you know the the the, the funny voices bit, which yeah. all all comedians have had at some point.
0: And uh, you know he ge- he gives lots of examples of this person not knowing about, and these are extremely kind of tortured jokes with really long setups and very short punchlines. And you know the crowd are laughing riotously, but for most of it, I'm like, yeah, this is you know this is kind of funny I mean yeah I always I always <laughs> want to know
1: what what the people in the audience were actually laughing at when when they some of the people in this are are reasonably funny, but yeah. I, I think that the audience is being a little bit too too generous in their in their responses,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, and we get to meet here, uh, Kim, I think it is Greased, is yeah, how you Kim say Greased. her surname. Right. Yeah. Uh, I know her from Brazil, Yep. Uh, which of course is where I'm sure everybody, including the main character from Brazil, fell in love with her. And so she is there and she's you see her in the audience a couple of times. Um, and then, you know, Lila is brought up. I, I, I don't know, like the guy who plays uh, Romeo, who's like the owner of the club, uh, The club is uh, Mark Rydell. Who I believe again is a friend of the director, which is how he kind of got and his another, part. Yeah,
2: another filmmaker.
0: Yeah, I, I, he kind of the funny thing is he kind of introduces Lila by kind of taking a mick at her a bit, and I was like, if I was Lila, I would not be happy with that introduction. <laughs> like he's he's like you know she's a housewife from Jersey, and 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 it's like yeah I don't know I'm like they kind of bring her up and she starts to go into her act, and obviously you know at this point I, I mean this film even though it's about stand up comedians a lot of the time we kind of cut away from the stand up comedians. Um, and we do get a very funny bit, which I've always liked, which is, um, uh, like Jerry is kind of talking to Tom Hanks, um, and he's talking about like hecklers and how they kind of end up putting him off and stuff. And he says, you know, you, well, you've just got to kind of attack them. And he kind of gives this quick example. And again, Tom Hanks is funny when he's not doing the kind of, uh, you know, the, the up bit. And he does this whole thing about, you know, uh, is that your wife? uh do you want to see naked pictures of a you know do you want to buy some? And then he he keeps going on like a, a long run of all the different scenarios you could do. Obviously this is set up for a a joke later on in the in the film. But I do I do kinda of like that he's supporting, you know, the other the other stand-ups. Like you know, he's a bit kind of selfish and stuff, but just the fact that he has sympathy for some of the stand-ups is shown kind of throughout the film. And I kinda of like this, this kind of this thing where he's kind of giving these examples. And obviously he's, he, you know, his character is meant to be quick on his feet. So we know that if a heckler was to try and, you know, um, kind of take him, he would kind of get on the losing end of it. But we also know that there's no way that Jerry is going to be able to pull off what Tom Hanks has just said. So we're waiting for the moment where someone heckles him and it falls flat. Um, but yeah, and, and then, you know, this is where we find out who... Um, you know, Kim Grice is playing, you know, this is where Ro- Romeo is like kind of talking to Stephen and saying, um, you know, that that, that, that that she's upstairs and she's a scout for Carson and Letterman. And, you know, she can, you know, that that like she's an important person who could kind of bring, you know, other people in and kind of help him. And obviously he's, you know, overjoyed to hear this. And so, of course, he goes upstairs to charm her, uh, which I think he does. I would say kind of successfully <laughs> i mean uh the conversation bet- between him and, and kim is is you know he he is kind of charming um and then obviously you know when he kind of hits on a uh, by saying it, you know because k- he keeps kind of rattling off these jokes and then he says is any of this turning you on and she, when she's go you know are you serious and he's like no you know and it's like instantly kind of bringing it back but i i, I don't know i just i kind of This is, I mean, this is going to be the main theme of the, of the film, which is he wants to make it big, uh, but you know, he kind of has the inability to get out of his own way. Um, you know, except of course, when he's off stage, when he's perfectly charming, um, and in the middle of this, we get the nun singing a song. (laughs) Um, and I'm like, okay, (laughs) I mean, um, it's kind of odd. Um, and then we a uh, some uh, yeah, kind of recurring character through the film as well is Billy Lane, who is obviously this kind of like washed up comedian. Who, yeah,
1: yeah, he's like a million years old. He's so, he's right. so cute. I just want to hug him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he, he basically has like, I don't know, like the 3 a.m. slot or something. He closes the whole thing out, uh, played by Mac Robbins. And it is a, like it's only a small role, but he really kind of makes the most out of this kind of small part um but yeah i mean how are we feeling about this kind of setup about with the scout and and you know the kind of potential uh for for him to for steven to make it big
2: i mean it's uh, it's such a i I think typical storyline to tell in this world i mean what was the one that came out recently was it don't don't think twice i think that was exactly the same sort of thing right an improv comedy troupe and all of a sudden now they have to you know there's a scout and now they're they've got chances and so it's it's very much it works for this world
1: yeah i, I thought i thought of uh, don't think twice too and I, and I feel you know that it's it, it had to have been that um the writer of the movie was heavily influenced by, by punchline. There's you know a lot of the same where everybody sort of gets along, but there's, you know, that undercurrent of, of resentment there. And, and, you know, that sort of, everybody sort of quietly acknowledges that, that Stephen's the best one. And, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, whether or not you agree with that is, is, you know, it's not really, it's, you know, it's what the script says that they say that he's the best one. I mean, um, but yeah, there's a lot of similarities there and, and yeah, I mean I think that, that it's a setup also for, you know, is Lila, you know, ready for this? Is she ready for what one to be a stand up comedian means? You, you know, does she is she ready for it to be a competition and, and for constantly hustling and putting the time and, and dedication into it that you have to if you want to be successful?
0: Yeah. And I think, it. I mean, we also get a bit of, uh, you know, New York Inside Baseball where she gets into the taxi saying she's only going to go a couple of blocks. And then she's like, oh, I lied. We're going to Jersey. And I thought I thought that was a bit funny because like the the kind of the, the way she kind of, you know, is like, oh, I'm only going a couple of blocks and then she immediately changes her like kind of. I mean, obviously it's Sally Field. She's a, she's a great actress. I'm not sure why I'm surprised by this, but um, just the way she changes her demeanor instantly to be like, if you don't take me to Jersey, I'm going to report you and you're going to lose your badge. And it's just like, it's kind of, it shows that she has like a ruthless side if she, you know, she needs to be. Um, I feel these days people would label her a Karen, which would be unfortunate because I don't think, you know, if you get in the taxi, you tell them the destination, they're meant to take you from what I understand with regards to New York. Taxi. That, that is generally, uh, that
1: is generally correct. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, the same is the same is true here for London cabs. If you get in a London cab, uh, a lot of them, and this is I mean this is very kind of inside, but um, they don't want to go south of the river. So if you tell them a destination that's south of the river, a, a lot of them are very reluctant to do that because they won't have the passengers to come back. So they'll just have to drive back without any fare. So yeah. they don't like doing that. Um, so yeah, it's like a known thing with taxi drivers. For some reason, they don't want to take people to destinations, which I think is their entire job. Um, so you know she does that and then the next day we get um you know a look at lila at home you know a busy kitchen three kids a husband who um in all fairness to john goodman is he's not the villain of the film you know he um he doesn't quite understand what she wants to do uh he doesn't understand why you know why the comedy is something that she feels like she needs to do at the age of 42 i think uh if if tom hanks is playing his age which is 32 in this and she's only 10 years older then um at the at the age of 42 he's not sure why she all of a sudden wants to be a stand up comedian uh which uh, to me in 1988 would make would make le- like it would make less sense because roseanne was on the air and it was huge <laughs> so you know housewife comedians would, I thought i think would have been a big thing i mean there was also um what was the name of the comedian who did grace under fire and who was notoriously terrible uh, I can't remember the actress, but, you know, there was a there was a slew of 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 housewife comedians like it was it was a, a kind of almost a little genre that started in the kind of mid 80s. Um, but obviously he doesn't know about that because he didn't know about the comedy scene. And so, you know, we get this home life where her I th- is it her youngest daughter who is keeps trying to tell the joke. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, the, yeah. The,
1: the Samson joke.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so she she's obviously supporting her mother. Uh, you've got the oldest who is in and out of the kitchen and doesn't really care. And then you've got the middle child who I think doesn't really kind of understand what's going on. Um, but I like that the youngest is the one. I mean, again, this is a setup for something that will happen later on in the film. But she is obviously trying to tell this joke to everyone and nobody is listening. And then eventually her mom is like, you know, who is who is the, you know, the, the, the best? Is it the best performer in the Bible? Is that how she phrases it? I'm trying to remember. Um, and obviously it's Samson because he brings the house down. And... You know, so like the fact that her daughter is is trying to kind of give her jokes that she thinks her mom wants. You know, that's a, that's a nice little kind of touch uh, in terms of like the family dynamics. Um, and like I said, you know, John Goodman, plain John.
2: I I just have to say for John Goodman also, just to clarify. This movie came out about a week before Roseanne started.
0: Right. I mean, Roseanne's stand-up would have been.
2: Yeah. Right. But the TV show, like nobody even knew what the TV show was yet.
1: Yeah, according according to the IMDb, he was cast in this because of his role in Raising Arizona, which is which is wild to me because they're completely different. They're completely different roles.
0: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's I funny. just mean Roseanne was a big comedian at this time. Yeah, she was yeah, well. yeah. I mean, that's housewife was... comedian
1: was not a a yeah. you know an unheard of thing at this point. Yeah, yeah.
0: And of course, the irony of John Goodman ending up on Roseanne after this film comes out, when he's pretending like he doesn't know what a, a stand-up comedian wife is, is is, is quite amusing. Is right. Um, but yeah, and this is where we find out that the uh, you know the money is missing from the cookie jar. Uh, which in all fairness, you know, Lila says that it's money that she saved. uh, And, you know, he's like, well, it was meant to be for the, you know, the family holiday. So obviously they're not not going on holiday. And, you know, this kind of, I don't know, this tension, I think, you know, will be maintained for most of the film where their scenes are pretty much always kind of like arguments. (laughs) You know, there's not much in the way of kind of uh, pleasantries between the two of them for most of the film. Um, But I think it pays off at the end. So... You know, but obviously that is going to be the kind of the the main tension between them whenever they're on screen. Um, And I was just gonna say, and it it
2: certainly speaks to, you know,
0: the 80s. I mean,
2: we were still at a point where things were shifting as far as like, you know, women in the workplace and this whole thing. And so the idea of of his wife working like it, it, there's something about that that I mean, it's great to see that Sally Field is trying to make something of herself and do something with her life. It is like right at that line where it's a little bit like, you know, what's wrong with letting your wife try to do something? You know, it's it's it could be a little uh, frustrating, those scenes. But I get it. It's still is part of that period.
0: And we find out that uh, Stephen, as well as no longer being in medical school, is having some issues with his rent. And um, I mean, Tom Hanks, he he swears up a storm. Uh, he's not bothered about his fucking stereo. He's like, just sell the fucking stereo. Like, you know. Um, he also he, like throughout the film, he'll also keep referring to the fact that he's got a therapist who he also hasn't paid money. So obviously he's behind. So I'm guessing he's also not going to therapy, uh, which will manifest itself, you know, halfway through the film in, in a particular manner. Um, but yeah so I and he meets up with with Lila um and i i like that when he you know he's talking to the guy in the cafe and he's like give me something awful which i just love i love that as like an order like he's not he's not after something nice to eat he's like give me something awful to eat um, now, he thinks the same as Paul Mazursky did at the beginning of the film, that he can get some money out of Lila for giving her jokes. So he starts c- kind of trying to get her background so he can kind of pitch her some jokes. And then when she says she can't pay straight away, he immediately like, crosses it all out <laughs> and then kind of gives up on the idea of of, the, of making a quick buck that way. Um, and obviously she's trying to track down Paul Mazursky to get the money back off him for these jokes that didn't work. Uh, but obviously he's not in the film. So I guess she never does that. I guess that's $500 wasted. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of like that this is the start of um, their friendship, question mark? I mean, um, this relationship is obviously going to be the backbone of the film, along with, you know, Lila and John. Um, and, you know, this is kind of, this is where we start to see that Steve, although everyone is saying Stephen is the best stand-up, I think the film is also trying to sell you on the idea that Lila is actually a better stand-up than Stephen, and Stephen is the only one that kind of can see that and realize that. And I you like, po- yeah, that this is possibly, kind of, yeah, yeah. This is kind of how it's like. That's maybe why he doesn't really acknowledge her when he's in the club because he kind of sees her as a bit of a threat. Um, and then obviously now he sees her as a way to make money, but then he realizes she's got no money, so he immediately scraps that idea. Um, and this is when they take, uh, they take the subway and while they're on the subway, he kind of talks about how, you know, he says everyone's life is funny and obviously he's just, you know, he just needs details to try and, uh, you know, kind of figure out where it is. So he starts kind of interrogating her and this is where they come up with, I don't know, probably probably like the the kind of the best joke that's in the entire film apart from i would say the when he starts screaming about debutantes at the end um which i always <laughs> love uh but like just this this the, like the way he kind of workshops this this is uh, like this is the kind of stuff that I, I mean the stuff that's on stage like we said it's not like it's not super funny but i think all the back like all the behind the scenes stuff the way that he kind of workshops the jokes i think that's the kind of that's the interesting stuff in this film um, and they arrive at this joke where he's he's asking about her life and he, he he's like, "Who and who's what's the name of the babysitter? And of course she says, oh, Charlie Manson. And he kind of instantly laughs. His Tom Hanks laugh, of course, trademark Tom Hanks laugh. And then she she kind of, having got the laugh out of Tom Hanks, you know, obviously this is a person that she kind of respects as a, a, a comedian. She then goes, um, but if he's not available, then we use little Davy Berkowitz, which I think is funny. That's a funny joke, but yeah,
1: yeah, I, he, I, I think, I, I think it would land today, let alone you know, you know, thirty years ago.
0: Yeah, uh, but he kind of deadpans it, and he's like, "No, it's not. Berkowitz is not funny." He says, and it's like, <laughs> I mean, I, I understand that we that we basically want him as like an authority, and so that's what they're doing here is like he 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 recognizes the funny joke that she's come up with, and then kind of tells her what's not funny. Uh, but I think he's wrong. But, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's just That's a test, problem
2: with, uh, like, Seltzer's script. Like, he should have come up with something that actually just wasn't funny. You know, that she could have thought was funny. Because, yeah, it it plays as... It's kind of funny.
0: And that's, you know, it's kind of one of those yeah. issues. And then we take what I'm going to call a very weird detour. Um, obviously, he's taking Lila somewhere. And what he's doing is he's taking him to a hospital, which for some reason he's doing stand-up at the hospital. I think it's because, I don't know, I mean, I think in other films this would be, uh, well, I mean, there's one film I can think of where they pretty much kind of did this scene, which was in Joker, where he was, you know, kind of making jokes for kids. Um, And I think this is just meant to be something like that, where he's kind of doing it as like a, you know, a goodwill thing. I'm guessing he's not getting paid for this. With all the money problems he's got, you would think they would at least give him something. Um, yeah, I always assumed
2: it, that he like I just assumed he was taking every, any job he could, and this was something that he was getting paid for. But that meant, that might have just been an oh, assumption.
0: I I mean, I assume this is like a volunteer thing that he's just kind of you know. No, I think he's just I think he's just
1: up. hustling. You know, yeah. he, he he yeah. Was, he's working at this hospital. Later, he's he's literally just doing stand up in the middle of a park.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That Open. no, that is a funny <laughs> a funny bit. Um, but yeah, so. I I mean he does. Uh, the funny thing is as well, uh, like his I I would say that his, his like the thing that maybe undermines um, Stephen Gold as you know stand up comedian is that he doesn't seem to have a set style. So he's doing like a ton of crowd work. Um which really you know, it, it really plays well because, you know, these are these are patients and obviously he's a doctor. So he does all this kind of like there's a guy who's got his arm in, I mean, I do love the joke when the guy's got his arm in his cast and he and he goes, Yes, what do you want? And it's like, you know, you've had your arm up the whole time I've been up here which I you know, pretending like you don't see the cast, that's a that's a funny bit. Uh, but it's all like crowd work. There's no like, there's no like jokes and punchlines. It's just, yeah, his cra- like, his bits his interacting
1: in with people is much funnier yeah. than yeah. his on stage joke telling.
0: Yeah, and I think like they should. I mean, this is the kind of the crowd work that he does here is some of the stuff that obviously he then passes on to Lila later when when he's trying to like show her how to be funny. It, he he kind of basically instructs her to do crowd work, uh, which in the end like her act isn't crowd work. So it, I don't know, it's just a bit confusing. Um, But yeah, no, the way he's interacting with the patients and talking, you know, kind of pointing at the nurse and and, and like all that stuff is quite funny because it's just, again, it's like Tom Hanks kind of natural charisma of just like interacting with people. Um, And that works really well. Uh, And obviously Lila is laughing along. Um, And I I think, again, part of this is not just him, you know, like not just getting to know Lila, but also wanting to show off a little bit um and maybe this is kind of the start of his affections towards her and you know this is kind of the environment that he he knows he'll do well in um and you know at the and then for some reason and i i, I mean i kind of understand why they did this because obviously Stephen gold is a harsh character up to this point he goes over to like a kid and kind of looks at his chart and we never know what he says we don't know what's on the chart but obviously it's something kind of bad because you know, he kind of looks very sad about it and kind of says something to the kid. And, you know, Sally Field is looking on while he does all this. Um, and then when they're on the train going back, he's kind of quiet, um, you know, which we, you know, we have to put down to the fact that, you know, whatever this kid has got is obviously, you know, terminal or something. Um, but it's, it feels like a slightly odd moment to put it in there. Uh, you know, if we're at the hospital and he's doing stand-up, I understand that. But then just throwing this weird kind of like dying kid into the mix, it's like... <laughs> Um, you know, it's like, okay, you know, it's a a bit, just a bit of a weird kind of detour. Um, yeah. And then of course, um... I, I I mean I don't know how else to describe it, but we then we go into high fast as Lila calls a taxi to get back home, and then when she's at home, she's rushing around, uh, getting undressed and dressed, getting the kids dressed, looking for some water. I don't know why the water didn't come out of a tap. I'm not quite sure what they, that. They mentioned that it was. earlier
1: that that the oh. the kitchen sink the water wasn't coming out of the kitchen sink. Um, right. That yeah. It was something. It was, she, a- it was something she had to take care of, but but hadn't because she. I hadn't had any time because she was doing the stand-up
0: but there's a, i mean there was a lot of overlapping dialogue in that scene so well, yeah. i think i just missed it and uh yeah so she then resorts to um dunking the kettle into the, in, you can't, I you, mean, can't she's tell, boy- you can't
1: tell me that nobody nobody could taste that that water was not you know way out fresh out of the tap yeah
0: yeah, so she she takes she takes some water out of the fish tank, which leads to that one kid going. The water in the fish tank has gone down, and she's like, "Stop, stop telling me that." <laughs> yeah, I love like, that. Up, it's
1: like I told you not to say that.
0: And obviously, this is kind of like a setup to you know, um, I I mean, like the most kind of like sitcommy setup in history, which is like you know, the the husband is trying to impress these people, for, you know, for work purposes. Um, and so, obviously, he's bringing back um, a couple of guys who I'm assuming have to be priests because they're wearing yeah. the collars. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and like, what's what's like, what's weird is like, um, in between this, we have this guy whose act is like doing this whistling thing on stage. <laughs> I was like, okay.
2: I I had a um, feeling that Selter like had a lot of these little bit players that he was just really impressed with, and he was just finding yeah. places to throw their bits in. Whenever he could, as just interstitial sort of stuff, which it, it seems kind of weird sometimes
0: when it pops in.
2: I mean, as delightful yeah. as they can be on their own, but in the flow of the film, sometimes it's like, oh, that's an odd place for that.
0: Yeah, and I mean, she su- she succeeds in getting all the. F- I mean, assuming she's just got takeout and she's throwing it yeah. all into bowls. Uh, to make it look like she cooked the food. And, you know, her kids, both you know, two of them are there. The, the other one is, at, you know, apparently is, is out at the cinema or something with her friends. And so they get dressed and, um, you know, we come back and we see that the, you know, the priests are eating the food and everyone seems fairly happy. Packerbell 's Canon in D is playing. Uh, and then this is where the daughter says that she has a joke that she feels is, um, is adult. Because, you know, her mom has kind of been dismissing her jokes because they're a bit kind of childish. And so she's like, you know, okay, let's hear the joke. And but she, she just says, "Oh, I can't even, I can't even, I can't even say it because I'm gonna, I'm gonna end up laughing at myself." Um, but she, she, <laughs> even thinking about it, it's making me laugh. It's a kid saying a naughty word, basically. Um, but she says, uh, "I can't even, I can't even say the, the setup either." Um, Andy, Gina, do you want to help me out?
1: All, all I remember said involves the word, the word cocksucker.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah she's like so this one cocksucker and it's like and i just like i love john goodman's reaction like it's yeah. so it's so kind of perfectly timed to this kid saying the word and obviously like both of the priests are shocked as well um and it's just and I, I mean obviously the implication is that she wouldn't have she wouldn't be saying this if her mom wasn't doing stand-up or whatever but
1: which is funny um, because I, because her comedy is really clean i mean she she does yeah. she does make a couple like like you know, when the, the, the final stand-up at the end for the competition, she does talk a little bit about their sex life. But up to up to that point, she's not telling dirty jokes. And 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 no, and, and like John Goodman just incensed that you know, oh, our kids have a potty mouth now <laughs> because of because of your comedy. <laughs> because like, of you, you haven't, right even, you, haven't even, you haven't even you haven't even seen her do her comedy yet.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I—I I, I mean, I thought that scene was kind. Of, I mean, it's a little bit hacky because it's you know such an obvious kind of setup that like these <laughs> these guys from the church are obviously going to get offended. So it's so it feels kind of like a bit obvious. Um, but you know, it's still, I, I thought it was well played by all the all the people in the scene. So um, it it works well.
2: You know. I mean, in context of you know you know the whole idea of having a kid say something like that i mean it still plays well and i think that's why it's yeah it's cute when the whole you know what did one cocksucker say to the other gag i mean it's it's funny <laughs> it makes me laugh
0: yeah um we we also start to get some scenes in between where steven is you know he's heard from uh you know kim grist that he's he's gonna he's there's gonna be a scout coming to watch him and he keeps kind of chasing it up and leaving messages Uh, While this happens, uh, the teacher um, (laughs) bombs on stage. I I mean, I like this character because he's like, I don't know, like he's just he's just like a uh, like a, a, you know, just an ordinary teacher who, who kind of obviously in his classroom, you know, his kids obviously think that he's funny. And so he's trying to kind of turn that into a stand up career. And his wife is very supportive, as we find out towards the end of the film. And he just seems like a really nice guy, but he like, no, they just keep booing him the second he's on stage. Um, and you know, he, he tries, he tries out the, uh, like the, you know, um, the, the, do you want some, you know, have you got any naked pictures, pictures of your wife naked? <laughs> and, and obviously the guy is like angry and he goes, Oh no, no. He goes, just, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> like immediately backs off, uh, when he's getting kind of booed. um, and we get we get then an argument between uh, Lila and John, and you know obviously you know I would say kind of the worst argument in the film where you know she, he kind of escalates to the point where he says she's not funny, and obviously she's like you know take that back, and he's like no you're not funny, and then she just walks out and she goes like straight to the club, um, and I don't know it's I, I it's it's kind of it's I I, I mean. You know, like I said, John Goodman in this film, he could have easily been painted as the villain, um, you know, for the way that he's talking to Lila. And, you know, even Steven himself, like later on, will kind of try and tease out like things to try and split them up. Um, but he, you know, he I, I guess he's just trying to hurt her, I think, at this point. And he knows that saying that she's not funny is the easiest way to do that. Um, although. I would like to say as well, in suburban New Jersey, for her to walk out and be able to get a taxi that quick is pretty remarkable. I mean, yeah, just is probably like ten o'clock
1: at night by this point. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she just walks out to the street and just goes taxi, and a taxi stops for her. And I'm like, wait, there, that's like, isn't she like out in the middle of New Jersey? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about this kind of the arguments and stuff, because. Um, you know, as a child of divorce, uh, this is the kind of stuff that makes me uncomfortable. Informed. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. I, you know, I, I think th- their problems could have been solved if she had just let him come see her do stand up sooner. I, 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 yeah. I think you don't really know how long. Did they mention how long she had been doing it? Not very long, right?
0: Thirteen, thirteen weeks. She says at, at one point. Okay, so only a few months. And
1: and I get that she feels that she can't relax and be herself if he's there in the audience but i i feel because she is so secretive about everything that it's sort of you know is is driving a wedge between them that doesn't have to be there like I, i feel that you know the whole probably the most uncomfortable scene for me is later in the movie when um when Steven is apparently has fallen in love with her, which is something I feel kind of a little, a little forced. I I wasn't really feeling that too much, but I, I realized there has to be some conflict here or a dramatic arc. Fine. But he calls her unexpectedly and she is trying not to let her husband know that, that he is on the phone. And of course he figures it out and, you know, it makes things even more tense and, like, like, you could have just told him that, you know, you, you you made friends with someone at the club and they are trying to help you fine-tune your act. I, I don't think that that would be an inappropriate thing to tell your own husband, rather keeping everything, you know, you such a big secret and making it seem like that you're cheating on him.
2: It, I mean, it's, but it's one of those tricky things where it's like, I mean, I get it. Like, if she's already kind of knows that her husband is upset at her for spending all this money on the jokes and has no confidence in her as a comedian, doesn't want her to do it. She screwed up this dinner. Like, like, I, I don't know, I guess I can buy into it cause it's like, you know, all right. So she's, she's at this point where she is, you know, obviously it's just a, it's a problem. Marriage is, is what we're seeing right here. They're just, they they've stopped communicating and it, that's really the issue at this point because if they were communicating, it would be fine. But in order to, kind of make all of this work in context of this story. I I mean, she's just, there isn't the line of communication. And so, so I end up buying it because I can see her kind of feeling this, this um, inability to have a conversation with her husband about these things. And it just, and it spirals and that's, it turns into this mess. And so I don't know, I, I end up buying into the way that it plays, even if it does feel, scripted sometimes
0: and then we kind of reach i would say uh, the darkest possibly point in the film <laughs> where um stephen finds out that there are scouts in the club and they're there to watch him they're not just there you know generally uh so unfortunately the singing nun will not be uh, appearing on david letterman um and and so he goes up and he kind of struggles to have like a set um and it just becomes more about him talking about how he you know he hated the sight of blood and he didn't want to kind of like dissect animals and he tells this story of someone like throwing like a frog's eye onto him and he basically kind of breaks down and i mean it's some great stuff from Tom Hanks obviously you know if you're looking at this and then, you're, you know, a few years down, I mean, literally, like, I mean, we are, we are, what's, you know, five years away from Philadelphia at this point? Like, this guy's going to have, like, back-to-back Oscars within, like, the next six years. You can kind of see it in this scene, in just the way that he kind of completely breaks down. And it just ends up with him just kind of, you know, talking to the audience about how he didn't want to be a doctor. It's his family are forcing him to do that. And, you know, he doesn't like the sight of blood and... You know, he just kind of ends up kind of breaking down to a point where, um, you know, he ends up kind of going off stage, okay. and you know, Lila kind of goes out to kind of comfort him because, you know, clearly he is having some kind of uh you know mental breakdown yeah
1: well his 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 father and i guess it's his brother or, or his father and it is.
2: His, yeah it's his father and brother not yeah. scouts that was the whole yeah he thought thing. they
1: were he he thought they were scouts but that right. was that was his family watching
2: yeah and that's that, and for yeah, me it's sorry. yeah it turns yeah. into like uh i mean i think it's you know i don't know i i early tom hanks absolutely this is one of those uh, performance moments that just always stands out because like when he sees his dad and brother, who are both doctors, very kind of ashamed of him and the fa- the way that he's the, this path that he's taken on his life. And, and then he turns it into this, like, emotionally, like, <laughs> it's just a, a big breakdown about his life in the world of of a kind of uh, the medical profession. I, I think that it's a pretty profound and powerful moment that we have from Hanks right here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously nervous because he thinks scouts are there. Yeah. And that's like obviously seeing his family is a thing that kind of throws him completely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then afterwards, you know, they go to a bowling alley. I mean, I like the change of venue. Uh, it's better than going back to the, the locker room, which we will get into discussion about that in a moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, she, like this is where Lila kind of says that, you know, when when she was, you know, when, when she was younger, you know, her and her husband would laugh at stuff and they would make each other laugh. And obviously that's w- that's why she kind of, you know, thinks, you know, she thinks she's she could do this because, you know, her she used to be able to make her husband laugh and he no longer finds her funny. And this is where we kind of get Stephen saying, you know, she, he knows she is funny. You know, she is she's a good comedian. Uh, she just hasn't found the material yet and, you know, she needs to do something that's like kind of closer to, you know, her better, like her actual life and kind of get into that because that is that's how she will make people laugh if she's kind of more honest. Um, obviously, that didn't go well for Steven just, but, you know, it might work for Lila. Um, and I do like this, you know, the fact that like she's like, you know, you're just saying that and the, and the like the kind of, you know, the line that I think I would bring the truest to most stand up comedians is you know, he's dead serious. Like that, that's the thing that he takes seriously is comedy. Like, and that's the part where he won't mess about with someone and just say they're funny. And he even says, you know, he's told women that they're sexy when they weren't and stuff like that. And, but he will never say to a woman that she's funny if she's not funny. Like, and he won't say that to anyone, you know, unless they actually are funny. Like that's, that's the thing that he kind of keeps back. Um, You know, and obviously that's why she's kind of, you know, he's, he's very serious about that. Um, And, you know, that leads to them, uh going to like a club and you know him kind of guiding her I, I mean this is kind of one of the more absurd bits where like she starts she starts out and she kind of bombs a little bit and then he directs her towards the joke um and he kind of asks her questions from the audience and i'm sure if i was an audience member i'd be like why are these two people kind of having a conversation in the middle <laughs> of what meant to be stand-up? like it's such a weird moment but they just kind of go with it and then You know, she starts to do some kind of crowd work and she talks to like this, um, you know, this kind of like hen party, Uh, I believe over in America, they call them bachelorette parties. And and so like she starts kind of like coming up with material, which we will see later on. Obviously, she hones it a little bit. Um, where she makes jokes uh, about what we can only assume is a vibrator. They never show it on screen. Um, You know, they just kind of talk about it and she kind of nervously gives it away. But this is, I think, where they kind of they find her personality, which is that of a kind of meek housewife who, you know, doesn't who isn't like, you know, worldly wise and isn't, you know, talking about her sex life or anything like that, which is obviously what the earlier material was. You know, this is now her kind of finding her voice. And, uh, of course, it then turns into, you know, montage. Um, but, you know, I I mean, I like the kind of, I, I mean, I don't know how you, you guys feel about like kind of Stephen basically telling her she's a good comedian and then kind of taking her out to kind of, um, you know, have her try material and kind of throw her in the deep end a little bit.
2: I think it works. I mean, it, it, in context of what we need this film to be doing. I mean, yes, we need to know that she's funny. That's kind of the whole thing that the film is relying on. And so I think that the way that they set this up where I mean really it's like it's a new place it's it's a place where she doesn't you know feel like she's you know established anything at all it's kind of an open mic sort of thing and it just it allows for for her to for it's almost like an opportunity for some work to happen and I you know I I think that it plays okay where it just it, it just seems a way for her to finally let her guard down a little bit so yeah I thought it was kind of nice
1: Yeah I think that he you know I I think that he recognizes that she is you know willing to 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 take constructive criticism you know which might be something that he does not encounter a lot in in the stand up comedy world I I would say probably a lot of comedians you know are not really open to other comedians telling them how (laughs) they can improve their act Um, but she seems very you know willing to kind of almost take him on as almost a mentor and and you know, he takes that role very seriously, which you know maybe the only thing that you know stand-up comedy itself, the only thing he, only thing he does take seriously,
0: as predicted, the the bit about David Berkowitz bombs, but I feel like somebody has told the crowd not to laugh at that part because <laughs> um, so, so. And then I mean, it's funny because now we've we've established, you know, the issues with Lila's marriage. We've established that Stephen is. Uh, possibly needs some kind of mental health, um, you know, help, but he's not getting it. So stand-up seems to be taking the place of that. Um, You know, he's kind of, he's waiting for his big break. And, you know, he kind of makes it clear that he needs that because otherwise, you know, he just, he doesn't know what he's going to do with the rest of his life um which feels a bit dramatic but you know that's the that's the frame of mind he's in and then we get the the setup um he goes to see Kim Groyst once more and she says you know she's been talking to some people and she's kind of trying to sell them on him and they've decided that you know that's turned into an idea which is a show that's going to be you know taking place um at the gas station where um the the kind of prize will be a uh, a spot on I think, is it Letterman that they promise or?
1: No, uh, um, Johnny Carson.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Johnny Carson. Oh yes. There you go. And so the name of the show will be open audition. Um, and everyone from the club that we've met up to this point will basically be on the list apart from one person, but we'll get to that in a moment. Um, and you know, Lila's name isn't on the list Steven's name wasn't on the list but apparently um Kim West you know had to kind of force it onto the list <laughs> because people you know obviously felt that um he you know his breakdown has not uh, contributed well to uh uh to, to like his reputation so um Stephen and Lila are forced onto the list so that they can be there and like you say this is where Stephen kind of tries to call Lila um you know, uh, to tell her about the contest. And it ends up with the kind of implication that, um, you know, she is, is having some kind of affair with him. Um, and then, I, I mean, I, again, this, this film, there's some kind of weird little tone shifts, but she goes to get her hair done. And she says to the hairdresser that she, you know, she wants a change. And then she comes home and she seems extremely like sad. And her family are kind of like, what's going on? And then she reveals her hair, and she has this kind of—I I, mean—I don't think it looks too bad. Oh no, no, I, no, Darren, it looks terrible. <laughs> well, I, I mean,
1: I, I don't know why well, they, they like her. Her hair in this whole movie is just—it's it, a situation. Um, <laughs> like she's just got very—it's it, beyond housewife hair. Um, it, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, if you look at, I mean, the movie is made in 1988, but if you look at her hair and the way that she is dressed, it might as well have been made in 1975. And, 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 and I don't know if it's because she just has spent so much time being a wife and a mother that she just had no chance to, like, update her appearance or anything like that. But she's got, like, the big, like, unflattering 70s eyeglasses on, and, and she just looked very out of time um but yeah those, were, the, those the, were
2: still in in the 80s i hate to say my, well my, yeah that's yeah. probably true it's... yeah the, the giant frames
1: yeah <laughs> that, that's awful. probably true but she's got the little like necktie outfit in one oh, scene and so bad and but yeah and then she's got this you know this hairdresser that just gives her like this like this like almost like a mini afro and 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 it, it just, like, <laughs> I, it's like yeah so I, I, yeah it's, I mean, it's the like the movie, worst
2: perm it's so funny
0: yeah, at
1: the end of the movie she's managed to brush out the curls and it looks a little better, but at this point yeah, it just looks she should have got I hope she got her money back.
0: I mean, it didn't look terrible to me, but then maybe I'm used to um ladies in my family having perms like that during the 80s, so maybe I was just used to seeing them like that. So it's like uh but yeah, I you know, obviously this is the point where her family kind of seen like the hair You know, they do their best to kind of console her and say it's not terrible. And, you know, I think this is also where John Goodman starts to kind of come, you know, the character starts to come out of his shell a little bit. And you can kind of see that they, you know, their marriage obviously did start from a position where they loved each other. And the fact that he's willing to kind of ignore this hair and kind of say that it looks fine and she and and just kind of comfort her a little bit. You know, it's it's kind of nice that they they kind of do that for her. Then she makes the mistake of meeting with Stephen one more time after his kind of uh, mental breakdown. And he is kind of dressed. I guess he thinks it's fancy, but it, it looks just a little bit weird. He's wearing me. an
1: ascot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> and
0: he starts kind of ordering stuff in Italian because obviously he is now infatuated with her and he's trying to encourage her to leave her husband. Yeah, he uh, yeah he
1: think he he is under the impression they are having an affair, which is which yeah. is, which is wild to me. Um, I mean they did they did kiss in the car, fair in the cab, but yeah,
0: I mean I, I kind of skipped over that, but yeah they they kind of when he returns her home after she after she does her good stand up, like he wants to say something to her and she says don't say it and then he kisses her yeah um so yeah in his head they have kind of moved to a different stage in their relationship where she still thinks of him as just a friend or maybe a mentor um yeah i mean he's talking about it,
1: he's talking about wanting to marry her and oh your, your kids are gonna like me and it's, it's, it's like oh <laughs> yeah. whoa, whoa whoa okay <laughs> yeah.
2: it speaks very much yeah. to the broken psyche that he yeah. has. i mean he's, yeah, he's, ex- I, he's yeah.
1: extremely needy yeah
0: yeah yeah And this, of course, then escalates into some trademark Tom Hanks screaming, where he keeps like he gets angry at her. And then, you know, that kind of culminates in him doing the most kind of like, I I mean, like just a melancholic (laughs) reenactment of a scene from Singing in the Rain, because it's raining really heavily outside this kind of cafe where they are. And so he kind of just goes out and starts doing this kind of routine in the rain and the film just kind of hangs on it for like the whole thing. Like he doesn't, they don't, we don't cut, we don't get a montage. We get him doing the whole thing from start to end. And obviously Lila looking concerned at exactly what she's seen here as he's kind of jumping about in, in these puddles. Um, and then he kind of just runs off into the distance and, and kind of leaves. Um, and that's kind of like the last that they talk before we get into uh, the big set piece, which is uh, the the show. Um, and this I feel is the point where we need to address uh, the locker room. <laughs> Many stand up comedians over the years have said the one thing, the one thing more than anything that stands out about Punchline is they've never been to a comedy club <laughs> where there were like full, like a full kind of backstage that had lockers and everything. And there were just like literally like dozens of stand. I've heard so many stand-up comedians talk about how they've never been in clubs where like the backstage area is that big. Basically, like it's bigger than the stage, and I just think it's funny that obviously I mean it's a choice because we need the comedians to talk to each other um, in a in a setting, but that co- it can't be like upstairs in the club because it needs to be more like inside baseball. So you need to have them in a setting away from the stage, away from the bar where you can just have them talking about stuff, you know, that's kind of the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, But obviously you can't do that if you've just got like a tiny changing room, like they've got to have like an area. So uh, obviously the director made a choice to put, you know, this big kind of locker room. But, you know, for the last 30 years, it has been a bone of contention with stand up comedians that this type of thing does not exist in, in kind of comedy clubs. Um, you know and if you are beginning as a stand-up do not expect to be able to get a locker in a club like that's just not a thing Um, but I do think I I don't know I I kind of find it endearing because it does mean that the comedians can interact with each other and they're not doing their acts like they're just kind of talking about the ins and outs and I think you know it's a good space because obviously you know in the build-up to the show uh, this is where all the comedians apart from Lila and Steven are going to be, um, you know, kind of warming up and deciding the kind of running order and kind of talking to Romeo about what's going to happen in the show. Um, So, you know, it's kind of a necessary evil, I think in the film.
2: Yeah, I guess I've never really had a problem with it. It just seems like, you know, for the world that they're creating in the film, sure. You know, let them have a place in the back that where they can have this space. I mean, you're right. We need it. We need that environment where all of these different comedians that we that we have can interact where it's not just like at the bar out front or something like that so you know to to that extent it's it's never bugged me but i'm not a comedian <laughs>
0: <laughs> well i can tell you on on podcasts for the last like decade i've heard a, a lot of comedians going on about punchline so and the, the locker room uh yeah uh and it's worth noting of course steven is not in there as they're kind of deciding the running order, you know, the Romeo comes down and he says who's going on first, which is going to be Damon Wayans. We have not addressed the fact that Damon Wayans is in this film yet, but obviously this is, he's just been in little bits and pieces. He hasn't really kind of been in the film. Um, But you know, this is Damon Wayans senior now, I believe um, because we have ourselves a Damon Wayans junior. Um, So it's, it's, it's just interesting to see him here really. I mean, like, you know, his son has the same kind of, um, kind of presence as him so it's kind of interesting i mean obviously you know wayne's family is huge um and damon wayne's i don't think was ever as was ever a stand-up comedian but obviously he had done like sketch comedy and stuff um so i'd say out of everybody who's there he has kind of the 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 most kind of comedy based background um Uh,
2: he doesn't he do i I, well i know he does recent comedy stuff i I don't know if he was doing it at the time but i know at the time he was Or uh, now he's doing more comedy stuff. But I I don't know if he's... Yeah, I
0: mean, I think at the the time of the film, I don't think he was strictly a stand-up comedian. I think that might have come...
2: Yeah, later uh,
0: in his life or something. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so he's going to be going on first. Um, And, you know, the rest of the order is kind of given out. We're wondering where Stephen is. We don't know where Lila is. Um, And Stephen, it turns out, is outside the club with a little mini bullhorn. And he's doing, um, I don't know, like car noises and... He I, he's just having fun. Uh, when the judges arrive, he kind of stands on, uh, I don't know where he's standing, like on some steps or something. And he keeps kind of like making fun of the judges as they come in uh, with, with this little tiny bullhorn to the kind of crowd outside. I don't know why that crowd is still outside. If the show is about to start, right, shouldn't they be inside sitting in chairs? You know, that kind of thing. Um, and we find out that Lila, you know, she's dressed uh, she, as, as Gina said, she's he, she's corrected her hair so it does not look like it did previously, um, and she is she's decided that she's going to go to the to the to you know take part in the contest, um, and um, you know as part of the deal she's going to take her husband with her finally, so he can you know see what she's doing, and then you know the idea is being that this will be the last time that she does it, um, you know, and so you know, she kind of arrives late and everyone's happy to see it, of course, because she's a nice person. And, um, you know, the the kind of the rest of the, you know, the rest of the comedians are getting ready. And this is when we find out um, that Billy is not on the list. Um, and, huh. and yeah, and I think the reveal of it's kind of, you know, like just the fact that like kind of, he's like, you know, what's my, like, when am I going on? And Romeo's like, um, he, you know, you're not going on, <laughs> you know, it's, it's for up and coming stars. And, you know, that's, that's really not what Billy is. You know, he's like, he's at the end of his career. You yeah. know, there's, there's no point in him being in this contest. And I think as an audience, you kind of like, you're already, you kind of already thinking, well, yeah, no, obviously he wouldn't, you know, there's no point in him taking part, uh, but it's still sad when he kind of, they, they kind of reveal to him, you're not going to be going on. And then, of course, Romeo is like, you know, you just go up there and laugh. We need you to go up there and laugh at stuff. And, you know, and then when he says, of course, you know, we're all a family and it's like, oh, that is... <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't seem completely true here. But, uh, yeah. Um, it's, and and it's, you know, it's that heartbreaking thing, though, where, you,
2: you know, you realize, you know, you're past that point in your career where you should keep doing it. You know, it's, I don't know, it's, 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 a, it's a bit of a heartbreaker right there, poor Billy
0: yeah um i don't know andy i think i still got a chance in the nba Give it a couple more years i might get drafted you keep believing that yeah um so yeah i mean i i mean you know it is i think you know we we obviously uh, we'll kind of you know billy will kind of go missing for a couple of minutes and then you know steven will go see him with lila and you know that is probably like kind of the kind of him just kind of doing like you know the me- kind of a medical exam and just seeing what's wrong and then obviously just realize you know he kind of tells a joke and makes Billy laugh and he's like you know obviously you're fine, but it's like it's just kind of sad to to kind of see that that's where kind of Billy is you know like he's he's just kind of you know he loves kind of comedy so much and yet you know that's it and he does say you know I won a contest you know and it was like a bigger audience than this and it was more of a big deal and you know like and he's kind of trying to you know kind of point out that you know he was more successful in in a way but obviously he's ended up at this club uh, doing like the 3am slot so you know maybe it's also a little bit of a reminder of like that's probably where it might end for Steven as well it's like you know in 20-30 years maybe this is where you'll end up is is just kind of closing out the night in some kind of small club in New York. And uh, with the arrival of Lila and Stephen finally getting inside the building, we get a montage of people's materials. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, we got to... I think the, the actor is called Angel uh, Gonzalez. I want to say. I don't think that's correct. I think I'm messing up that surname. Um, and he's the guy uh, who has the gigantic... Um, like Ghetto Blaster that's and he it, says it, the it. Japanese people piss me off that's Rico, um, right yeah the character of Rico. I mean yeah. some of these characters they never give them names on screen so it's yeah. Um, but yeah he's, he's not happy because uh, you know the Japanese have made this gigantic Ghetto Blaster that he has to carry on his shoulder and it hurts his shoulder that's his act, apparently. Yeah, um, I,
1: I don't know that all these people brought their A game <laughs> for, <laughs> for this contest.
0: Yeah, Damon Wayans, his character gets extremely hostile and says that um, you know the uh, there are black men with small penises and they are the ones that date white women, and the audience is not happy with that. <laughs> and um, you know, I think you know, in terms of like edgy comedy, that's really the only kind of edgy comedy in this entire film. But uh, I mean, he delivers it really well, like. Um, you know, I would like to have seen more of his act, but that's kind of all we get. Um, and we get of the two, uh, the two lady comedians, the first one comes out and she does some kind of singing, uh, with, which again, I there's so much kind of singing stuff. Uh, we obviously get the nun coming out and she does some singing again, uh, a lot of singing. Um, and then the, the, there's the other lady who does the, um, the syllable hysteria, which I thought, which I always thought it's a funny bit. Um, but we only get to kind of hear like kind of the setup and punchline really quickly, and we don't really get to kind of uh, delve into her act um, where she kind of says someone calls on the phone and they're like, you know, talking in syllables. Um, and I, you know, I thought that was that was a funny bit. Um, but of course, we're all building up to uh, Taylor Negron, and he talks about how he likes to go and piss off Iranians, uh, which. You know, uh, in in the kind of eighties, that seems like a target that you wouldn't really go and and hit. Um, and he says that he he has he wants to get carpet, but he doesn't have the square footage. And so, of course, the Iranians say to him, "You don't want carpet; you want And just the way that Taylor Negron is like, just says the word like, and just kind of opens his mouth, and he says, "You know, they're like bald eagles," and he just goes arirag, and I just. I don't know. It always makes me laugh. And that's all like, I just love the way that he does that. It's my favorite part of this like montage of all the other comedians is just the delivery of the words area, rug. Yeah, That's, that's um, one of the few
1: moments in this. That actually sounds like a genuine, like stand up bit.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he delivers it so well. And he just the way he kind of like the way he does like the voice again. It's like, it's, I mean, it's funny voices, but you know, <laughs> Your I feel dog like it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you are want... <laughs> <And> just... <laughs> Yeah. Oh. And it's I don't know, it's just it's it's one of the things when I see it, when I first saw this film where I was like, you know, it made me laugh because it's just so kind of perfectly executed and, you know, Taylor Negron really like sells it. Um and it, even just from that one bit, it's kind of like, oh, he maybe he's the potential rival for Steven because he seems to have like a very defined like act whereas all the rest uh, you know, as much as as much as you enjoy the singing nun Gina, I I cannot. <laughs> that, that, seems I be, just, that
1: seems to be all that all that he does, though. So
0: right, I I think earlier there's a bit where he did he did a, a piece where he was oh he like was the lesbian,
1: lesbian lunch hour or something. Yeah, like when that. he was where he was where he
0: was he was doing like a daytime talk show thing called Lesbian Lunchbox, which I feel there has got to be some kind there's got to be some kind of double meaning going on there. Um But yeah, so which, again, I thought that was kind of well delivered. It's only one line, you know, of a a kind of small part of like a routine. But still, um, you know, obviously we're building up to the two headliners. And, you know, Lila goes out first because obviously I even Romeo thinks that Stephen's going to win. So obviously you send your strongest comedian out like last. And so she kind of, what's weird is she goes up and she starts to do a bit of crowd work. And then she stops doing that, and she starts talking, like because somebody said she's like, "How long have you been married to this kind of couple?" And they're like six months. And then she starts kind of going into like the marriage jokes, um, and th- again, this is where it kind of goes into a bit of a, a kind of montage, so we don't get to hear all the jokes, uh, but do we we do keep cutting back to John Goodman, who is laughing up a storm um, at every single joke, and you know, this is the the moment where you you kind of see how much he loves his wife because obviously i mean i don't think he's fake laughing um but i think he's like he's now seeing it he's like understanding what she like why, why she wants to do this and you can kind of see on his face like he gets it um and kind of john goodman kind of just laughs at all the, the gags like he, he even um, laughs at
1: the jokes her, her jokes about him being bad and bad. which is what that, that's, yeah that's supportive yeah. husband right that's there. right <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: and i and so i I would say, again, like, I think, you know, as we've as we've said throughout this, I don't think like the kind of scripted stand up stuff is the funniest. Um, but I think Sally Field kind of really sells it because you have to get the idea that Stephen is nervous after she's gone up because she was so good. <laughs> and so they do kind of sell that, um, although, you know, obviously they do it a little bit by montaging it so we don't have to listen to the whole kind of act um But you know, obviously, she does really well, which I think even surprises like Romeo. <laughs> he's not—he wasn't kind of expecting her to do that well. um And then you know, when she comes off and she's like, you know, kind of trying to wish him good luck, and he's like, "You didn't make it easy and stuff." So it's like, uh I do like the kind of, you know, he—he's always seen her as being someone who could be like a good comedian, but now uh, there's a little bit of like professional jealousy here where he—he he realizes actually she's kind of found her voice. And that's gonna make it a little harder for him. Um and it does because he goes up and he starts attacking the judges. Um Never where he a good says, thing. Let's <laughs> let's meet our judges and he starts to like listing off um like the three Stooges yeah. and the Marx mm-hmm. brothers, like he just lists off like names of three. Um although earlier Romeo did say you may recognise her from Nuremberg, which is kind of like I thought that was kind of like a, a, I don't know. That seemed like a bit close to the edge in terms of like if you want these people to be on your side and making a TV show, calling it like pretending like they were Nuremberg is a little <laughs> bit kind of. But yeah, um, so he kind, you can see that he's kind of lost his way a little bit, and he then kind of goes into, uh, he does like a run on like superheroes, where he makes some not very funny jokes about like you know Tableman and stuff like that, where it's like. I don't I mean, I guess maybe it's because we're, you know, post, you know, we're in the MCU universe these days. So we all understand superheroes. So him kind of making these jokes in the 80s, you know, really, there was only like, you know, the the Superman films and that was it. So him kind of kind of coming up with these names. Um, I don't know. I don't find that bit particularly funny. He, of course, goes back into his Korean driver bit, bit, um, which seems the crowd seemed to get on his side. And then he goes into this run, which is probably my favorite part of the film in terms of like his stand up, where he starts to talk about people that he hates and he hates trendsetters, which um, I just thought was kind of funny. And then just the bit about debutantes always gets me when he's like screaming at the top of his lungs about how like, you know, all the things that debutantes do and how, you know, who cares? They're debutantes. Um, And it kind of builds up to this point where he says, you know, he doesn't hate anyone. Um, You know, he's not a hate monger. And then he kind of stops and he goes, I'm more of a hate stylist. And that's where he finishes. Um, uh, That being a callback to the fact that uh, Robin Green, who's one of the judges, was introduced with the comedy stylings of Robin Green. And so he's kind of doing a play on that. But I always like the I'm more of a hate stylist line because I do think that's still quite funny. (laughs) It's
2: it's very um, funny. And that's actually... a a really strong example of like a good like close to an actual stand-up comedy set right right like it actually tied together like there was there was something cohesive about not just his own bit but he actually managed to like cohesively connect it to a different part of the show which I I thought that was like one moment of really good stand-up comedy writing that we had here but I love that bit, yeah.
0: True to today, nobody cares about debutantes, <laughs> um, so I feel that's evergreen material. Yeah. Um, right. But again, that's that's kind of where we get the kind of the Tom Hanks like top of his lungs screaming about debutantes for like three minutes, um, and it does always kind of make me laugh. You you brought um, up, you
2: brought up Robin Green briefly, and I just have to say that Barry Sobel, who played Robin Green, he was actually uh, like a comedian at the time, like yeah. was very much an up and comer, and he's actually uh, was was Hanks's comedic. Uh, trainer or advisor or whatever um, for this film like getting him prepped for it and everything so
0: and we should say that uh, Susie Esman apparently coached um, Sally Field uh, who of course these days is known for Curb Your Enthusiasm <laughs> so um, you know yeah that, so. that's you know a good pedigree definitely um, you know uh but yeah uh, so and then of course we get we have to get the kind of payoff to the whole competition thing where everyone is in the the locker room and they're waiting to hear you know who has won from the judges
1: they want them all they want them all to go up on stage to too when it's announced i'm like that is so cruel so <laughs> well we want to before... film we, we want to film everybody's reactions i was like oh my god yeah <laughs>
2: Don't you feel like that? Like I feel like they pulled this moment into like all the modern like shows, like America's Got Talent and stuff. It's yeah. like that's what they and do now. Like, it's like, oh, it's awful. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. Why would you?
0: Why
1: would you? Why would you do that?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, before that happens, Lila gets a note, and everybody thinks obviously it's telling her that she's won or something. And it's actually from her husband, and he says, you know, you know, the contest is over, you've won, and you know, she, like, he loves her, so. And then she has to kind of say to everyone who's basically they're all waiting on beta breath to see what this note is, and she's like, it's just from my husband, and then they're all kind of a bit mad, (laughs) like they've kind of teased her. But yeah, Romeo comes down and he says, you know, everyone's got to go back up on stage. They're going to announce it upstairs. That we're not going to tell you down here. You know, like we want, we want everyone on stage. They want to see the live reactions. They don't want you to know ahead of time. Um, and you know, they kind of refuse, they're like, No, and he's like, You know, if, if if you don't go up, then you know, you're not working this club again. And, um, you know, he's kind of them kind of forced to reveal that Lila has won because, um, I can't remember which one of them says, you know, like steven's won, and he's like, No, you're wrong. <laughs> and I do kind of like the way he does that, it's like, See, you don't know everything, and um. And so she she's like, you know, she does this thing. I I mean, it, it, they kind of play. They extend it out a little bit where she kind of goes to the door and she's like she's going to walk out and she, cause she doesn't really care about the competition. You know, she she's more than happy to let Stephen have it um, because obviously, you know, he's in second at the moment. Um, and she keeps kind of going backwards and forwards a little bit. And Romeo keeps thinking she's going to kind of, you know, go up the stairs and then she goes and gets a purse because she forgot a purse. And then, you know, I like the kind of final exchange is Romeo saying, do you want to work in this club again? And as she's leaving the door, she goes, yes, I do. And then closes the door and walks out. <laughs> yeah, I love that. It's great. Yeah, and it's like, because obviously, you know, she's, she's clearly the best comedian he's got. So obviously he needs, she needs like, you know, he needs her. She doesn't need him. Like if she's a good comedian, she can go do this anywhere. So I like the kind of power dynamic there um you know and obviously she's forfeited in favor of Stephen. but you know he does explain the judges might change their minds you know three of the judges didn't like Stephen, so you know it's not just because lila doesn't win doesn't mean that Stephen will win um of course Stephen does win um but we then get a little bit of lila outside you know she goes to meet john and you know john goodman i've been such a kind of warm individual this is the point where he you know, he kind of, he, you know, he's like he loved it. He loved the act. He sees why she does it. You know, she's really funny. You know, he was laughing the loudest and she kind of heard him. And, you know, it, it just kind of feels like, you know, they, they might have like a, a future. Um, and they're kind of as they're walking away, he's kind of suggesting stories that she can tell on stage about members of their family. And I kind of like that he's now like he's taken the place of Stephen. Like he's now the one who's kind of thinking of material for her and kind of giving her ideas um you it's, know it's and very as they it's walk,
1: very it's very sweet mm-hmm. yeah
0: and i th- as they walk away we kind of cut inside the club you know with the kind of the music playing over the top and we see like the spotlight go on steven so obviously we know Stephen has won um uh, you know i we can only guess that he will you know be, be successful in the future based on this well but, we don't know, you know i mean that, that's, well, you know,
1: that's kind of ambiguous and and i think that the you know, the one thing that Romeo says is, you know, in then Lila, you know, kind of giving up her spot for Steven, you know, he, it's not like he's going to, you know, you're not going to hear from him anymore after this, you know, and then, and, and I think like her walking away with her husband and him going on this, you know, kind of symbolizes they, you know, have gone their separate ways. And they're, you know, I mean, you don't know if he's going to become successful or not.
2: But what we do know is that this is what he needed, right? Like he was, he was an emotionally broken person. He he just needed the win. And so I, so to that end, it's, I think that there's, I don't know. I just, I like the, the payoff between the two characters, regardless of the direction that their lives end up taking. It felt like it, I don't know. It felt like a, a, an honest ending to me.
1: Yeah. They, they both got what they needed. You know, she, she really wanted her husband's approval yeah um and you know now that she has it and he's a he's seen what she does and and he likes it she she can keep comfortably doing it not feel not feel like it's a big secret she has to carry which in turn will probably make her a better more relaxed comedian
0: yeah i you know it's a good it's a good ending like you say a little bit ambiguous for uh you know in terms of what steven will do um and you know, like we finish with uh with Billy kind of uh, doing his kind of sign off um just over the just before the credits kind of roll um and you know that is where we finish and uh yeah, you know I you know like you say, I think it's a good ending for both of them like they they you know she managed to kind of make up with her husband he got this win whether or not he becomes a success from it is completely separate to that, and whether or not she ever does stand up again you know. she she might decide that you know now she's got her the approval of her husband maybe she doesn't need to do it like six nights a week wherever you know uh realistically even though she had one i don't know that like a spot on on carson would would really mean as much to her as it would to steven so it kind of makes like it's not like she's gonna suddenly start becoming like a touring stand-up comedian and you know doing the doing the circuit like that just doesn't doesn't make sense as like her next step you know she wants to kind of just kind of get her act better and kind of just you know do it. It's, it's kind of like a hobby more than a job. Whereas for you know for Stephen Gold, it's obvious that this is his entire life.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's like she says, know. she's got time. It's like she's not. She's not. Yeah. She's not there for what Stephen is. So I think that yeah, it's it's
0: nice. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So uh I should also say that in the in the in the crowds, if you read the credits, there's a number of comedians, including Bob Zamunda. Uh, he is in there, uh creator of uh Tony Tony Clifton is it? Is that yes, the name? Right. I... Yes. Along with uh along with uh Andy Kaufman. So I, I mean, he's apparently one of the people who heckles somebody during the during the, the the films because a number of comedians were brought in to be hecklers uh for the acts. So when they were performing their acts, these actors Comedians were heckling them. <laughs> so. Yeah, George,
1: George Wallace was the the guy in the hospital with the arm up over his head. So there were there were a lot of comedians and small roles in this.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so well, I mean, let's get to the judgments then. Um, I, as always, of course, it is either T hanks or uh, no T hanks. Uh, I feel like I know where everybody is on this, but obviously, I feel I need to get confirmation. For me, this is clearly a T hanks. Uh, you know, it's a film when I was younger that I watched quite a few times. Uh obviously after seeing Forrest Gump, this is a little less of it's a bit more kind of weird to see <laughs> to see um Tom Hanks and Sally Field, but you know, obviously you can forget about that and just kind of concentrate on the film and it's not that weird. But uh yeah, I mean I really enjoy it, even though uh, apparently on Rotten Tomatoes it only got like fifty six percent and you know the reviews weren't particularly kind to it, and as I said, it was a bit of a box office disappointment. Um but I still I still enjoy like the stuff from Tom. And obviously this is you know, uh, kind of indication of the kind of the darker stuff that he will be getting into in a couple of years time um, after he has two kind of fairly big flops that basically almost end his career. And then he kind of, you know, turns the corner and and kind of takes on more serious roles, um, you know, from 92 onwards. But, you know, this is a nice little kind of indication. And also it's a good, like when he's not on stage doing comedy, Tom Hanks is very funny in this film. Like he's got the, you know, his natural charm that he's always had is just there. And the fact that he can deliver all those lines so quickly and, you know, give, you know, kind of create this character who's very quick on his feet and who can kind of come, come, come up with comebacks without even really thinking, you know, he really sells that part of the film. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I don't know if I'd recommend it to people because obviously, Uh, There's some voice work that people do that I feel maybe, you know, is not... You really have to emphasize that it's
1: 1988.
0: Yeah, yeah. So if anybody was to watch it now, I think it's an interesting look at, like, kind of what what comedy was in 1988, which apparently was a lot of singing nuns.
1: (laughs) God bless. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this is a tea hanks for me. I think that he took a big chance playing a character that on paper is just atrocious. Um, and I think he put a lot of his own natural charm in it so that the character is a little, a little more tragic than anything else. Um, and, and really kind of gives it, uh, it, gives him a lot of dimension that, that other actors might not have been able to do beyond, you know, you know you know, asshole, egotistical comedian. You know, he does. He does. You know, manage to be a little sympathetic, and and you you so you actually do want to see him succeed. Maybe maybe not as much you want to see Sally Field's character succeed because she's the audience surrogate, but you do hope that he because this is the only thing that makes him happy and gives him any sense of purpose. You you do want to see him succeed in it, and I and I think that that is largely a credit to tom hanks
2: performance yeah i i mean i absolutely agree tom hanks i mean his performance here especially like coming off of big and you know kind of what he had been doing beforehand was there was so much likability with him that even with this character and i i think he does a great job playing somebody that clearly has some mental issues who is very self-destructive and um, selfish, really fascinating character for him to play, but you still find yourself rooting for him so much of the time and kind of like having your heart break for him, like when we talked about the scene where his dad and brother see him performing and he breaks down on the stage or when he breaks down and does the... Uh, singing in the rain bit. Like those those are the things that make him really stand out in this film. And yeah, it, is, it's, it can be a harder film to recommend to people because you say, oh, it's a film about stand-up comedy. You think it's going to be a funny film. It's very much like a, a kind of a darker dramatic film to that end. But I think it really works. And so it's absolutely a T. Hanks for me.
0: I should say as well, the person who got fired from Columbia was David Putnam. Uh he was. He had quite a few high-profile failures. He, mm. I think, to up until a certain point, he was the only ever um, uh, British head of an American film studio, and he was there for like I don't know, eighteen months, and everything was a disaster, and basically Columbia was falling apart, and they got rid of him, uh, and this was one of the films that kind of suffered by being like kind of punched away from uh, a December '87 opening, you know, to the kind of the late end of of 1988. Um, but I feel like I just had to say that because I, I, I couldn't remember his name and I did remember seeing a couple of documentaries about David Putnam and felt like I should at least mention it, one of him being a fellow Brit. Um, so now that is out of the way, let us go to plugs and I am going to start with uh, Andy. Is there anything that you wish to plug?
2: Yeah, I mean, if you uh, want to hear more of the podcast world that I do, um, I'm part of the Next Real Film Podcast family, um, co-host on the Next Reel, which... You know we're uh, going to be celebrating our tenth anniversary, believe it or not, later this year, uh, which is crazy to me. But yeah, you know, we talk a lot talk a lot about movies over on that channel and that network. So just head to the dot and you can see more of the shows we do over there.
0: And Gina,
1: I am the co host of the Kill by Kill podcast. Uh, we talk about horror movies, um, focusing on the characters and the weird little little background details um some of the movies we've covered recently have been um the conjuring three uh john carpenter's prince of darkness uh, uh we also do a side project called dish by dish in which we are re-watching the tv series hannibal and talking about episode by episode
0: and uh, should you wish to get in contact with us you can find us at the extremely awkward twitter handle t underscore ft memory uh, thanks to both of you for being my guests this week thank Absolutely. you and next week I'm going to unfortunately have to leave the big city and head out to the Burbs